glad that you're here today online, in person. There's a lot of stuff happening in the church. If you walked in, got a bulletin, you notice today's newcomer welcome class day. We have a lunch right after the service. Barry and his wife Susan host it. Troy and B are there and some other folks to let you know about our church, how glad we are that you've come. They'll share with you some of the ministries of our church, how you can get involved, but really how we want to partner with you in your spiritual growth. Next week, we start our membership classes, which is a two-part class. So uh, you don't have to go to the newcomer lunch to do the membership class, but uh, it's a great way to kind of get to know some of the people that are going to be in that room. Also, I want to let you know the date on your bulletin for the prayer service is not October. That's already, that was the last one. It's coming up on the 17th of November. So a week from Wednesday, we'll be gathered here for prayer. We pray always for the needs of our congregation, our community, even the needs of the world, which seem to be never-ending. I mean, the massive needs that are around us. Also, today is the last day to turn in your boxes for Operation Christmas Child. If you didn't bring them today, that's okay. You can bring them into the care center during the week until Thursday. We're a collection station, so other churches will be bringing their boxes here as well. And then one last thing, the turkey baskets. We started that last week. A bunch of you picked up turkey legs with... uh, Things written on those turkey legs to, uh, to donate, and so you can stop by that table across from the coffee bar if God's given you the means to help another family. We're trying to help 200 families in Colorado Springs area, in the Fountain Valley in particular, to be blessed and be able to have a full Thanksgiving dinner. So, um, so much happening in the church family that we're grateful. In fact, I encourage you last week, we started this new series called Overflow and really looked at how uh, David, David... In, his, in the 23rd Psalm, said even though he was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, even though enemies surrounded him, he says, I am so blessed, my cup runneth over. And I encourage you to just take stock of the blessings. We are a blessed people, as Barry said. I don't know if there's another group of people that have ever lived than those that live in America right now that have been more blessed than we are. And with the technology we have, the comforts we have, the medicine we have, uh, the protection we have, I mean, just so many things that we never want to take it for granted. I encourage you just to step back a little bit and say, God, thank you for the big things, forgiveness and salvation, eternal life, but also those many little things that that happen day after day uh, for a good night's sleep, uh, for our families and pets and for neighbors and jobs and clothing and vehicles that run and all kinds of things. I encourage many people to start their own list of a 100 blessings. If you started last Monday and wrote four down every day, on Thanksgiving Day, you'll finish a list of 100 things that you're grateful for. And it's been fun for me to jot those down because the more I just stop and say, what am I really grateful for? What have I taken for granted? I mean, my list, just things just keep flowing and it's filling my heart even more. I was reading an article this week that said there's actually 31 scientifically backed benefits of being a grateful person. You want to hear what some of those are? It boosts your self-esteem and energy level. It makes you more likable and attractive. It helps you to relax and sleep better, to live both longer and happier. It has physical repercussions. You actually are healthier and keeps you away from the doctor longer. It helps you overcome loneliness, depression, and anxiety. It blesses your marriage and your friendships, and it makes you a more productive employee. It also makes you more generous, which is really the theme I want to talk to you today because there's a group of people in the Bible, a, a, a group of churches that, that they were so generous, they caught Paul's attention. They became kind of a role model for other churches. And to give you a little bit of a background of this group, they're called the Macedonian churches, and uh, these churches had all pulled together money to help a church in Jerusalem that was going through a famine. Now, the church in Jerusalem had been largely Jewish for many years. In fact, it took a persecution to drive the Christians out of there to go into those regions, Jesus said, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. 
Um, he wanted the gospel to go out from Jerusalem. And when it went out, it started going into non-Jewish areas, which are known as Gentile areas. And so when it went into these Gentile areas, people began to find the Lord. Now, they didn't have the traditions. They didn't have the scriptural background. They didn't have the habits that the Jewish people had, but they were embraced into the family of God. And so when the uh, famine hit the Jerusalem church, Paul began to tell these other Gentile churches, hey, you guys owe a spiritual legacy to, that, to those Jewish believers. If it weren't for them, you wouldn't know Jesus. But they're going through a hard time now, and I think it'd be really great if you churches who are blessed uh, physically, materially, would bless the church in Jerusalem in their hardship. And so they get They started collecting these offerings to take to the Jerusalem church to help them in their time of famine. But this church, uh, or these churches in Macedonia were very unique. Macedonia would be the area that's today would be northern, central Greece. Uh, Paul took the gospel into that region for their very first time. Cities like Thessalonica, Corinth, um, Philippi, Berea, uh, these were all, all uh, Macedonian churches. They were all European churches that Paul had planted um, congregations within. And there are two chapters in 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, that are devoted to this, these series of churches and how they became an example to the Corinthian church. And so I'm going to uh, read this passage, and what you're going to find is this group of Macedonians had overflowing generosity because of what Christ had done in their lives. I'm going to read verses 1 up to verse 9 of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this, grace, this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that, by, so that you by his poverty might become rich." He's talking about two groups of churches, one of the Macedonian churches in the first section, then he shifts to say, hey, that's the model for you Corinthian church, and you both have received the same grace. In fact, grace is the theme of this passage, the grace that they'd received through Jesus Christ. Grace is freely given, goodness from God, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life. You know, they didn't deserve it, but God gave it to them graciously, and so these churches were established when they accepted the grace of God. We learn later that Paul says that, that Jesus sacrificed himself. He became poor so we could become rich. That's God's grace given to us. But he also turns the table, and then he says that they had begged for the favor of participating in the offering. That word favor actually is the word grace. It's the exact, exact same word, but it's from a different angle. Instead of God's grace to us, it's people's grace to other people. So he says they wanted to participate in this grace or favor of helping other people. And then a little bit later, Paul tells the Corinthian church that they should excel in, the, in this grace of giving. So here's, grace comes from God to us, then flows through us to others. And that's really what grace is in the Bible. Grace equals God's unconditional goodness and generosity toward us and then through us. It fills us so much that it overflows to other people. And see, when you've received something good, when you've received grace, you can't help but want to give back. You can't help but want to overflow with your own generosity. That's why uh, major universities, Bible colleges, medical institutions, 
churches often receive large donations from certain individuals because they have been blessed by those institutions. They've been helped. We want to say thank you. How do we say thank you? By being generous in return. We wouldn't have the care center possibly when we did if it wasn't for a lady in our church who had been at one time in her life, came to our food pantry to get assistance. And then out of the blue, totally unbeknownst to her, she was in someone's will and received a million dollar inheritance. And she says, I didn't even expect that. I want to give a tithe to my church. And I'd like to give it to the future care center because that care center was there in my time of need. And so that became seed money for the care center. We looked at that money and some other money that had come in and said, I think the Lord wants us to move forward on the care center. And so that's why we did it. When you have been touched with grace, you want to give to others. And I want to share with you five ways, five ways this Macedonian church and how Paul's challenging the Corinthian church can display grace in their giving. Number one, when grace floods your life, you cannot help but give joyfully. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. These folks were poor, extremely poor, suffering severe affliction. This is not like a minor inconvenience. And they're not just poor, they're dirt poor. They're just really struggling. And so Paul looks at them and says, you know, on the one hand, they are just so struggling. They're so hurting. And yet they're so joyful. How can you have both? How can you be, in, in, in some people's minds, living in such a miserable place and yet being filled with such joy? It's because joy is not contingent upon circumstances. Joy comes from a different place. And they found they could tap into joy even in their poverty. You know, sometimes the test comes and reveals where our true source of joy is. What's really going on inside of our lives? It says this was a test for them. It's going to reveal what's inside. I, I call it the sponge test. You want to know what's in a sponge? You squeeze it. You find out what's inside, right? Squeeze the sponge, you find out if there's water in it or milk in it or orange juice in it or whatever. You squeeze it, and what comes out is what's been inside all that time. And so you look at people and you go, when times are good, I can't tell what's really inside of them. When times get tough, oh my, you start to see it. You want a good example? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> let me tell you, okay? Just, just let me tell you, March... 2020. March of 2020, COVID just came out on the news. Everyone started to panic. All of a sudden, everyone flocked to their stores, Walmart and Safeway and every place else, and the shelves cleared off. You could not find toilet paper. I mean, no pun intended, they were wiped out. I mean, <laughs> water, nice. you know, uh, sanitizer, you know, Lysol wipes. I mean, all that stuff was gone. Like, it's like, what's going on, people? I mean, this looked like I was in another country. I'd walk into a store and go, I've never seen these shelves so bare. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. There's three kinds of people. There are people who says, oh my goodness, we got to get out there or we're going to die and be left without. We got to get as much stuff as we can. So they stocked up their shelves, all kinds of stuff, because if anything happens, we are going to survive this, okay? There's others who said, God's always taking care of me. I'm not going to go out and go anywhere. I got, I got stuff in my house. I'm going to be okay. We'll ride through this. We'll be Okay. Third group of people, though, said, we're going to go to the store. We're not going to go crazy, but we're going to stock up because there's going to be someone who needs help. And I'll tell you, that was the rarest group out of all of them. The ones who says, I'm going not for me, but for someone that I don't know yet. And there were people in this church who actually would send me a message saying, hey, I heard that this family can't find toilet. I mean, there was a real dire situation with one family. They had a medical need. 
And, and they had no toilet tissue and said, we don't know where to get it. Can, do you know anybody in the church that has extra? And I put the plea out and boom, boom, boom. Some people said, I've got some. I'll drop it off at the house. That's the kind of thinking I think Paul's getting at here. You are ready. You are generous. You're not thinking about yourself all the time. You're thinking about other people. Something good is happening in your heart. There's an abundance of joy. And that word abundance is, is similar to the word of overflowing. There's overflowing joy in your life that's resulting in incredible generosity. You know, it's a misconception to think if you have more, you give more. It's not true. On a percentage, those who have more give less. And those who are poor actually give a greater percentage, which seems so strange because they can afford less to give. And yet they do it out of their joy. They do it willingly. There was a lady uh, last week, an older lady, senior citizen, walking through the foyer in between services, and she had in her arms, I count them, six shoeboxes. So it's like here under her chin, going like this. And I said, man, you're in a good mood today. You're going to bless some kids. And she goes, well, I brought in my boxes today, and I want to get some more. And I thought, I'll bet she's on Social Security, and I know what it costs. You know, it costs $40, $50 to fill and send one of those shoeboxes. You've got six of them, and you already did a few of them? Oh, my goodness, you are a generous lady. But you know what? She was smiling. Nobody told her she had to do that. It was, it was all based on overflowing joy. When you are so filled with joy, you cannot help but spill over on other people. I remember... Um, Several years ago, a lady made an appointment to meet with me, and she said, Pastor, she goes, I'm bothered by the fact that we're cheering for the offering. We're not even meet, meeting our budget. Why are we cheering? We're telling people that, that, yay, God, we're not being faithful. She goes, I think that's wrong. And I said, well, you may have a good point there. We don't want to encourage people not to be faithful. But So for the next few weeks, we kind of we laid low with the cheering for during the offering. And then a few weeks later, I said, oh, heck with that. We have reason to be celebrating. God's good, right? He's good. Even when we don't make the budget, he's good. So we're going to cheer. And then I began to think years ago, there used to be a trend among churches that wanted to be very sensitive to the visitors saying, you know, during the time of the offering, and I did this before, we would say something like this. Hey, if you're visiting today, we're so glad you came to Pikes Peak Christian Church, but we're going to do something now that may be a little awkward. We're going to take an offering. And you don't need to participate because you're our guest today. But for our members, this is how we support the ministries of our church and show God that we're committed to his mission. So let's pray and we'll take up the offering. And so we gave people an out like, whew, you don't have to feel guilty when the offering baskets pass. We don't want people to go like, they're always asking for money. But do you know what I started to think? Why do we single out the offering to do that? Why don't we tell people, hey, we're going to stand up and start singing, but you know what? We don't, we don't want you to sing with us because we've been blessed by God in such a way that we can't help but sing and praise him, but you can just listen if you want, or we're going to pray to God, but you don't need to do that. You're just visiting today. Or, or you know, we, we, we're going to serve, but, you know, there's really, you don't need to serve either. There's needs in the community, but that's not for you. That's just for us who are part of the church. Why do we, why do we single out the offering to tell them what they shouldn't do? Maybe they're smart enough to decide whether or not they want to give. But why would we deprive them of the opportunity? See, here's what was happening here. It was as if Paul was saying, hey, you guys are really struggling, and um, we're, we're not going to ask you. We're not going to ask you to participate but they were blessed and they wanted to give. You know, in, in Revelation chapter two and three, Paul, uh, uh, not Paul, John is writing um, this revelation that God had given him and Jesus actually directs seven short letters to seven different churches. And there's two that are direct contrast to each other, the church in Laodicea and the church in Smyrna. To the Laodiceans, Jesus says this, 
For I say, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You think you have a lot? You think you're materially prosperous? You're not. You're, you're, you're spiritually bankrupt. But then he turns to the church in Smyrna and says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. You are rich in a different way. You are rich spiritually. You have something the other church doesn't. See, real wealth is not what you have, but what has you? What's grabbed a hold of your heart? Because if the Lord's grabbed a hold of your heart, it doesn't matter how big your bank account is. You are automatically rich. It, it, you feel rich. You really do. And, and it would have to take someone else to come around and tell you, no, no, you know you're not rich. And you go, oh, yes, I am. I look at all God's done for me, and I am filthy rich. And that's why I can be generous. You can go through tough times and have little, but have great joy and be generous. That's why we're told in the scripture, be rich in this way, in good deeds, to be generous and ready to share. That's what happens. An abundance of joy because of what God has done in our hearts through his grace. The second thing, the way it affects our giving, the second way it affects our giving is to give freely. It says they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Again, Paul, Paul was going to skip over them, and they said, hey, hey, wait a minute. And they became beggars. Not begging for money, but begging for the opportunity to give. Don't exclude us, Paul. We want to participate in this offering. It's not an op- obligation, but it's an opportunity for us. Don't deprive us of that blessing. You know, you know how sometimes the way to motivate someone is to tell them, oh, you could never do that. No, you're too weak. Uh, you're not smart enough. You could, you could never be that. And you go, oh, yeah, I'll prove you. you know, I've got an amazing little grandson, and every once in a while he pops up in my sermons. But I remember, one of the things I just love about him is he's always up for a challenge, and it's, especially if I tell him, no, you're not big enough for that. So we picked up Aiden on Thursdays from the preschool, take him to our house. Thursday was trash day, so we had these two big trash cans. You guys know these big trash cans. Sit at the top of our driveway, and I would wheel them back down, grab one with your arm, wheel them back down to the house. And he'd watch me do that. And he goes, oh, Baba, that's my name. He goes, I want to do that. I thought, no way, buddy. That thing's going to fall on you and crush you. He goes, no, I can do it. So he walks up there and grabs one next to me. And he starts to pull it. And I'm worried it's going to just fall on him. And then he turns around and does this with it. And so he starts to go down the hill. It's got some momentum going on the hill. I'm afraid he's going to, this thing's just going to, He's going, to go, he's going to face plant on the gravel, and I have to tell his parents what I did. So as a caring grandfather, I pulled out my cell phone. And here's what I captured. Watch this. <laughs> now he'll... Oh, now he disappeared. It's moving on its own. He did. Now, you missed it because you guys were, were cheering and laughing. He giggled. He was giggling. That's joy. I couldn't get my teenage son to do that with joy. But he did it with laughter. Like, no, you can't. Yes, I can. So don't let anyone tell you. You're too poor to give. You don't make enough money to be generous. 
You know, people sometimes say that with the, with the south end of town. Oh, we know about that. You guys, you know, hard times down in the south end. I, I'd love to tell the churches all over town, you wait and see. We're a generous church. We're a church of people who love to give. Barry read the scripture. Yes, we could cheer. That's great. Because <laughs> God, God celebrates this. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. That's freely. Nobody's forcing you to do this. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't just like a cheerful giver. It says he loves it. Loves it when we give willingly and cheerfully. This word actually translated cheerful is a Greek word, hilaros. Yeah, hilarious. It's, 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 it's something we should be cheerful about. God says, I want your generosity to flow from your heart. You decide and you reflect how my grace has impacted you. No restrictions, no obligations. It's up to you. But God loves it when we give. But he wants it to be willing. This is so critical. Because when you give, when you pay taxes, you don't go, man, I love to give my taxes. None of us do. None of us. Because it's an obligation. But when you um, have an opportunity to give an offering and you do it freely, it feels good. It's like a release of something inside. If someone gave you a gift and, uh, and they didn't give it willingly, wouldn't it tarnish the value of that gift? Yes. Like if they said, um, hey, honey, um, I got you this um, gift. I was thinking not getting it, actually. <laughs> um, you know, because there's other things I could have done with that money. But it is your birthday. People give gifts on birthdays. So here you go. And she'd go. You know, or punch it, you know, 40 yards in the air. You know, like, really? You've just deprived that gift of any value because it wasn't willing. I mean, if someone came up to me and said, Pastor, I've got a used Tesla that I'd love to give you. I got a new one. It's parked out front. I'm going to give you the keys. You know, I, I wondered. There's another pastor in town I was thinking of giving it to. And, and then I thought maybe I could just sell it because there's some other stuff. I'd like to get season tickets for the Broncos, you know. But, you know, heck, I thought maybe I'd just give it to you. I'd tell that guy, I said, you know what? I don't like the attitude of your giving because it's not joyful, but I'm going to let you off the hook this one time. <laughs> just this one time. Don't you ever do that again. We'll take it. <laughs> but we'll call it good this time, Okay. It's a lesson learning experience, okay? You know, there's, there's churches that, um, that have what we have in the back, these boxes. We, we did that a year and a half ago because of COVID and people not wanting to touch baskets and things. So we're going to put up those boxes. And churches had done that for years. Many churches have done that for decades. And they call them like joy boxes or agape boxes or Joash boxes or or, you know, something like that. They give a name for it. And they go, hey, you can give to the, you know, the gape box back there. And what it did was, for some people, remove that pressure of, oh, here comes the plate. Now I have to give. I don't ever want you to feel like we have to give. I'd rather have people say, I want to give. You can't stop me from giving. Okay? And so that's why we have multiple options that you do in even your privacy of your home. You can go online. You can text to give. You can have a direct deposit from a bank. You can give in our joy boxes and back, whatever you want to do. But that's up to you. But make sure that it's your decision freely. Thirdly, when grace fills our lives, we give personally. It says, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves. 
Before they gave any money, they gave themselves. And here's what happens. This is, this is really the key. If you, if you walk away with one thing, this is the biggest key. If you give your life to Jesus Christ and make him Lord of your life, every other decision in life becomes pretty easy. It really does. If you say, Jesus, you be the Lord, that means it's no longer about me, it's all about you. You bought me with the price. I no longer belong to me, I belong to you. All of a sudden, everything else in life, it's actually pretty easy. Should I watch that TV show? Does it honor you? Uh, No, okay, that's easy. Um, Should I say those words? No, okay, that's easy. You know, should I go to that place? No. Should I do this? I mean, yes and no. I mean, you have all kinds of decisions that get pretty easy once you make the lordship decision. It's like, if I surrender the whole, surrender the parts are pretty easy. But you got to make them lord. That's why when Jesus is lord, we shouldn't have to struggle with all these other things in our lives, the temptations, the battles. I made it all. My job, my career, where I'm going, what I'm doing, huh, everything, my marriage, my finances, my hobbies, my habits, it's all laid before the Lord. What pleases you, okay? We're all on that page now. It's all, all that pleases you. That's what I want. And I give myself personally to him. And when I give myself to him, I give myself to his mission. What was his mission? His mission was to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to bring redemption. It was all about people, little people, hurting people, lost people, broken people. Jesus came to rescue people. And so when he left this earth, he basically passed that baton to his disciples and says, you're it. This is what you're about now. You go carry on my mission. Go reach people for me. So our mission as a church is to help more people, more people more often say yes to God. It's not just about that first yes of giving your life to Jesus. It's about the Lordship, every, every decision, my whole life. I wake up every day, Lord, I want to say yes to you today. I want to say yes to you tomorrow. I want to say yes to you. And when you do that, you find your life oriented around this mission of reaching people. My, uh, I think I shared this a couple months ago. My niece has a son who wanted an Ancestry.com test for Christmas last year. So he takes this test and he finds out something really bizarre, that his mom has a brother that she's never met before, had no knowledge of. And so my niece got real... uh, interested. She talked to her mom and dad, says, hey, what's going on here? How come, I, how come this DNA test says that we have a sibling in the United States that I've never known about? And they began to share how there was a situation where a baby was given up for adoption. Over in Korea, when my brother was in the military, married a, a young Korean woman. And, and earlier in her life, she had gotten pregnant and gave this child over. And she never knew what happened to that little boy until the DNA test showed that he was in Cleveland. So this summer, this past summer, they load up the whole family, my brother, his wife, their son and daughter, some of the grandkids, they all went to Cleveland to meet this family member they'd never, ever met before. And man, it was a tearful gathering. It was a reunion. It was such joy. But I, I want to tell you, whenever I go on a mission trip to Thailand or to Myanmar or to Azerbaijan or to Tanzania or Mexico or Namibia, Whenever I walk in to, and see the believers there, it's like, Lord, that's my family. Oh, my brothers and sisters that I never met before, I get to meet them now. And it's such an incredible reunion to get to meet these family members. When you look around the world, what you're seeing is future family. Future family. 
because Jesus wants every one of those to accept him and join part of his family, that they can call their heavenly father their father too. And so there's this great feeling that when I participate and I give personally of myself to God's work, and maybe through your local church, and it's partnering with parachurch groups, with missionaries and mission agencies, and, and everyone of those that I just listed want more than a check. I mean, they, they need financial support, but they want your heart. They want you. They want you to care about what they care about. They want you to care about their mission, care about who they're reaching, care about their prayer needs, celebrate when there's praises. They want to know you're invested in it. And it means so much when someone says, hey, I'm in there with you. Maybe, maybe I'm not there physically with you, but I'm there financially, prayerfully, in a lot of different ways. I'm right there with you. The problem with government um, entitlement programs, and I know some of those are very good and they help people, but I'll tell you what, what bothers me with them is that one is, is the government's very poor steward of, of resources. You know, a lot of it gets squandered, a lot of it gets wasted, a lot of it goes to fraud. Um, and because it's so impersonal, nobody says thanks for it. When was the last time you, did anybody write a check by the, or, or a card, by the way, to the government to say, thank you for that stimulus check, that was such a blessing? No, because we, we don't even consider the government as people. It's just this institution out there that, that writes checks, but we don't know if anybody really cares about little old me, but I'll take the check. But what if our government liberated people, incentiv- incentivized people, motivated people to be generous to their neighbors and the and the groups in your community doing the benevolent work, like food pantries and churches and rescue missions and counseling centers? What if, what if we were inspired to support those ministries? When those people get helped, guess what they do? They actually tell someone, thank you, because somebody personally invested in them. Yes. Give of yourself, not just financially, but personally. And then when grace flows through, it shows that we give sincerely. When Paul turns the attention to the Corinthian church, he says, as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So anybody here want to grow in Bible knowledge? Anybody here want to grow to be a better witness? Anybody here want to grow to trust God more in prayer? Paul, Paul basically says this, you want to grow in all those areas, you should also want to grow to be a better giver. You should excel. You should excel or abound in this act of, this, this act of grace, this ability to give. And Paul says, man, you've done a good job in so many other ways, but I want you to be good at this. And when you're good at this, love becomes genuine and it is spelt, instead of L-O-V-E, it's spelt G-I-V-E. Because if you don't give, it's hard to know that you love. When Jesus was trying to show what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, he told a story. It was about a man. He was heading to Jerusalem. He got um, beat up, left for dead on the side of the road. And two Jewish leaders, people who knew their scriptures very well, walked on either side of him. D- didn't even stop to help this guy. But a Samaritan, a guy who didn't have that background, stops, gets, gets off his horse, helps the man, you know, does what he can to, to manage his wounds, takes him to an inn, makes sure that he's fed and cared for, has a good night's sleep, and then tells the innkeeper, if there's any other needs, let me know, I'll pay for those. And Jesus says, that's how you love your neighbor. Because love is spelt G-I-V-E, give, give time, give attention, um, give touch, sometimes give affection, 
Um, give, give resources. Give medical care. You know, love is felt in giving in a lot of different ways. Yes, financially can help a lot of people, but love can be, can be shown in a lot of different ways. It, it, it just has to show an action in what we do, not just what we say. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, speaking of Jesus, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Don't let it just be something you verbalize. Let it be something you demonstrate. Jesus did it when he laid his life down for us. How do you know Jesus loves us? It's not just because the Bible says so. It's because Jesus showed so when he went to the cross. How can you ever deny that Jesus loves the world when you see this man spread out on a cross, naked and bleeding? He did it by showing us he loves. So he says, lay your life down for others. Now, you don't have to go to a cross, but lay down things that are important to you for the sake of others. So we want to grow as givers. I mean, I'm at a stage of life where I'm just thinking, man, God, I want to be better at this. I'd have to admit, I have not excelled in the grace of giving. I want to get better And there's a number of ways we can excel in giving. We can excel in the motive, why we give. Ask yourself, why am I doing this? Is it because someone's pressured? Am I just giving out of habit? Or am I giving because I love the people God loves? I love the mission that he's committed to. I love the Lord and what he's done for me. Let it it come out of a motivation of love. We can excel in our attitude. As already been said a number of times, when it comes from a joyful heart, it's so much better. That's when the gift is truly acceptable and that God um, loves to see. Excel in the knowledge of where it's going. See, sometimes we can give generously, and I think it's foolish to give to places where, where it may just be a bottomless pit. I, I, I love the fact that many people help homeless people. But even the rescue mission has warned us, saying, hey, we've got services that could help these people long term. We will do the work. But if you keep paying them to stay on the street corner, they'll never come in and get our help to get out of where they are. And we may think, well, pastor, God just wants us to be generous. Yes, but be mindful. Sometimes giving can hurt people. Do you know that there's a, there's a number of organizations and they can use catchy titles? It can be about police officers, veterans, children, cancer survivors, and yet they're scams. There's one called the American Cancer Society. American Cancer Society. Or no, excuse me, it's called the, excuse me, take that back. Cancer Fund of America. I don't want to disparage another group. Cancer Fund of America. Sounds like a good group, right? Man, I'd like to help that group. 3% or less of your donation actually goes to cancer victims. Three pennies of every dollar. The rest of it, majority goes to the people at the top of that organization. They found a way to make a living off the, off the good heart of many people. And there's a lot of organizations just like that. Research. Know where your money's going when you give it. Excel in the ways you give. Of course, financially is one way. Sometimes it's materially. Sometimes people are blessed. You, 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 you give a material donation. It could be a used appliance. It could be a, an automobile. It could be something someone needs. You could pay for a college student's tuition. You could pay for someone's utility or rent or give them a credit. I mean, all kinds of ways that you can give. Be aware of their needs. And then just excel in the discipline. Paul says, and actually in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians both, establish a pattern of giving. Make it a a regular habit. Establish a percentage of giving. Set aside a portion. What is that portion? And then put that aside every time there's a collection so you know, hey, I'm planning. I want to be good at this. I don't want it all to be spontaneous all the time. I want to excel in this. When you go to the gym, you have a plan. 
When you do many things in life, you have a plan because if you want to grow, you've got to have a plan. We should have a plan for giving. Give sincerely. Let your love be shown in your generosity. And, and fifthly, give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by you, his poverty, you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus is the model for giving. He left the wealth of heaven to come to earth to take on this role as a servant. He left the riches to become poor, but it wasn't just financially poor. Jesus became spiritually poor when he took the debt of all of our sin upon himself. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He was poor in spirit because he took the debt of all of us, of every one of us. That's a huge, massive debt, extremely poor in the sight of God. And yet because of his death, we become rich. Jesus became a servant so we could be freed from our sin. He gave up his life so we could receive life. He took our debt of sin so we could have his righteousness. And this act of giving himself for us was a sacrifice. Why? Because it cost him something. It hurt. It was painful. Sacrifices are always like that. You know you're making a sacrifice when you go, ah, that's going to hurt to do that. I'm really struggling to do that. That's going to cause us to change our lifestyle. That means I'm going to have to give up something. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the sound of a sacrifice. And I remember back when I was a a teenager, I became a Christian. I learned about this Christian discipline called tithing. Tithing is giving God back 10% of what he's given to you. So I learned that when I was in high school, that, that God is honored by that. And I said, I want to do that. I want to do that. Nobody forced me to do it. It was like, I want to do that. I, I, I want to be that. Don't tell me I can't do it because I'm a student. So I started doing it. And it was hard. You got student loan bills to pay. Um, I've, got, I've got food and rent. Uh, auto insurance, I've got a lot of things I'm trying to pay for, and yet I want this to be a priority in my life. And so there was a sacrifice. When Julie and I married and quickly had two kids, all of a sudden we find tithing's hard. It's hard. So we can't go on a big vacation, and we can't have cable TV, and we can't go out to eat very often, and we can't do things that maybe other families, and and we're going to go down to the thrift store, and we're going to use coupons and all this kind of stuff. That's what we're going to do. Our lifestyle is going to have to adjust if we're going to tithe. And it went that way for several years. But I'll tell you now, we're empty nesters. I make more money now than I made back then. And we have less um, responsibility to kids than we'd had back then. And it's not a sacrifice to tithe. It really isn't. And I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to say that. But God has challenged me to say, so what are you sacrificing? How is your giving a sacrifice for you? There are times in our lives where we, uh, years where, where Julie and I says, hey, we're going to double our tithe this year. We're, we're going to give more because God has blessed us more. But you know, there are times that we slack off, we go back saying, hey, we're just content. Money gets pulled out of the bank. That happens week after week, and we're just good with that. But God's been challenging me saying, you've been blessed, Pastor. You're missing out on the joy of what you could be doing. And so I don't know where you are in your life and how you're sacrificing. Maybe you're at a place where even tithing is a big sacrifice for you. But I'll tell you this. The, the Macedonian church gave not only what they were able to give, but beyond. How, how do you do that? How do you give beyond your ability? I'll tell you this. Here's how you do it. It may look to be impossible. It is impossible. Impossible. All things are possible with Christ in you. It's amazing what God does when you step out in faith and trust him. You, you've probably all shopped at J.C. Penney, but I don't know if you know the story of this man. When he was a young man, he was a believer. He opened up a store. It was called the Golden Rule Store. 
because he believed in the golden rule. You know where that comes from? Sermon on the Mount. Do unto others as they would do unto you. And then the depression hit in 1932, putting him into depression, bringing him to the brink of bankruptcy and divorce and suicide. He ended up committing himself to a sanatorium. And while he was in that sanatorium one day, he heard the nurses and doctors sing an, sing an old hymn that he remembered from his childhood. And in this hymn were these words, be not dismayed what e'er betide, God will take care of you. All you need he will provide, God will take care of you. We made it through the depression. And he trusted in God. And over the course of the next several decades, he opened up hundreds of stores that bore his name, J.C. Penney's. It became, by 1971, the second largest department store in our nation, second only to Sears. Here's what you may not know about J.C. Penney. He was a very generous man. By the end of his life, he not only tithed, he practiced reverse tithing. He lived on 10% of his income and gave away 90%. I mean, what a, what a, a generous person. And you may think, well, Pastor, he probably made a lot more money. Yeah, I think he did. But he also gave a lot more. And I just challenge you, next time you get a raise, up your percentage and see what it's like. I mean, it is a challenge, but he accepted the challenge. And he was grateful for what God has given. You see, Jesus is the model for giving. He's also the reason for giving because of what he's doing in this world. We'll talk more about it next week, but he is still at work in this world. And when you partner with him in his work, he pours out from his treasure house. Listen to Philippians chapter 4. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus, after his resurrection, went to heaven, has access to all of heaven's riches, says, I'm going to make sure that what you need, both here on earth and in glory, will be provided for you. He's an unstoppable giver. He wants us to follow in his footsteps. I don't know what this might stir up for you. Maybe you're going to have a conversation as you leave here or in the car on the way home or around the dinner table. Let me tell you about one couple that, that heard a message on giving at their church and learned about all the needs in their church and their community and the world. And then on their way home, the husband said to his wife, man, wouldn't it be great if someone died and left a really big gift? And his wife says, honey, he already has. He already has. Jesus gave that priceless gift. And all of our giving is simply a response to what he's already given to us. So I hope you feel challenged by this poor church who really was a rich church. And I don't care what anyone says to you, you're not poor if God makes you generous. You're truly rich. All the glory, all the honor,